The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to You're Gonna Love Me, the podcast where we open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of anyone who has judged or been judged. Well, hopefully. I'm your host, Katie Maloney. gentle people welcome back to an all-new episode happy friday my guest today is my friend he is an amazing makeup artist he is a bona fide survivor and he is a host of a podcast called back on air with jared liscombe welcome jared to the podcast thank you katie thank you for such a warm and welcoming (laughs) introduction i I really try to nail it with with the intros consider it nailed consider me nailed katie nailed it thank you so much for coming over it's a bit of a gloomy day but yeah it's really nice to see your face congratulations on your podcast also congratulations it's been a year since your bone marrow transplant and your cancer-free. Yes, I'm in remission. Remission. That is the best place to be. And you're just, are you feeling? You know, it's a lot of feelings. There's a lot to process when it comes to something so traumatic like that. So overall, the feeling is positive. You know, I mean, obviously I'm, I don't have cancer in my body. (laughs) And so now after a year, and obviously this all started in 2019. So after a year since the transplant, I'm now starting to kind of make peace with what happened on the mental side. So that's where I'm at. So I'm feeling good physically and now it's time to address the mental. So yeah, going all the way back. So 2019 was your diagnosis. Yes. How old were you then? I was 31. 31. Okay. So what was that like? Do you like remember that moment? The diagnosis itself or just starting to get sick? Because it was kind of a two-part experience of getting a mystery illness that we couldn't quite diagnose and then the actual cancer leukemia diagnosis. When the mystery illness was happening, did it ever occur to you that this could be cancer leukemia? No, No, it doesn't run in the family. And it was one of those things where I was a hypochondriac by nature, which of course, go figure. It's just like a life lesson. Life is going to teach you a lesson no matter what. And this is one of those things like I was a hypochondriac. I always thought I had something worse than I did. It never was as bad. And you'll remember at um, Brittany and Jax's wedding in Kentucky, do you remember me being sick and, and coming up and asking for meds at all? Do you do you recall that at all? I don't I don't know if you would remember it because it was such a minor thing for everyone else who was there. But for me, it was the beginning. That was the end of June, beginning of July. And that was the beginning of me oh. starting to feel really sick. Wow. And I was, I, I laid down in your room, yours and Tom's room for a little bit and would sit in there. Yeah, so that was the beginning of, I was starting to feel really, really sickly. And so what was the symptoms? Just like really headache, fatigued, out of breath. I'd walk up a flight of stairs and just be like, just exhausted. And I could barely make it through an entire makeup session, which at this time I was just doing, you know, primarily the girls from, you know, your show, I was doing one at a time. So it wasn't like I was standing for a long period of time. It'd be like 45 minutes to an hour. And I was just getting weaker and weaker and weaker until finally it it got to the point where we were filming actually the finale of season eight. And I was there doing the Hollywood reporter shoot with you and Brittany and a few other girls. 
And I went straight from there actually to the emergency room and not many people know this. Oh my God. Um, and so, and I wasn't diagnosed then, but that's when they said, oh, your blood kind of looks weird. And then another doctor suggested that I go to a very big teaching hospital, you know, like the Cedar sinai type hospitals. And that, you know, a weekend later I was admitted and would not be released until October with no hair and a body full of chemo. (laughs) So, so when they gave you this diagnosis, like you're sitting in a doctor's office and do you remember the feelings the of it feeling all and just like it, the reality. I mean, I do. And I don't because it is. So as soon as they mentioned that it could possibly be cancer and they kept me in the hospital, my mom flew down. I have a very close and supportive family. So my mom flew down the second that cancer was even on the table. So I pretty much got admitted into the hospital, got this news that it could possibly very likely be cancer. My mom flew in the next day and that night they confirmed that it was the cancer. And it's just one of those things, kind of like I imagine when people talk about grief, the stages of grief, it's similar to that. It's kind of like, there's no way this is real. There's, you know, denial. There's obviously anger, a lot of confusion. And the one thing I did have on my side because of growing up with a family that valued mental health care is I knew to take medicine that the hospital was offering. And obviously I was in extreme amounts of pain because I had this mystery illness. And then now I was in extreme amounts of anxiety because I had this very real life altering diagnosis. So I accepted the anxiety medicines they gave me. And so that changed the experience a little bit. It was not as torturous and which is why I'm such an advocate for Western medicine. I know there are obviously a lot of different techniques to deal with anxiety and to tr- and trauma and stuff like that. But in that moment, I relied on an anti-anxiety narcotic medicine and my mom's support. And I just cried, could not believe it. It was just one of those things. I mean, just your life, it's, it truly is like you are going a hundred miles per hour and then you crash into a wall. You know, my career was at my top, at my top peak. I was featured in Cosmo and People Magazine and everything, everyone I was wanting to work with was all this was happening. And this, this comes to an end, you know, or comes to a head. What do they tell you of the chance of survival at that point? So right away, they said the type of leukemia that it was, was um, specific to people who are over 65 or plus. So it was already rare. Yeah. So it was already rare that I was even diagnosed. And they said that because I was young, um, they gave me a 70, 30 and people, you know, the doctors, I talk about this a lot in detail, but the doctors think that that's very good. And that's like, Oh, 70, 30. That's so amazing. You know, like that's a really great chance. And I get that in the medical world that it is, but when you hear a 70%, you think of a C plus or a C, you know, in school, that's not comforting to hear. Yeah. I want to hear, you know, 90%, especially when, 95 you, or, when you have, you know, 70% of your life left. <laughs> exactly. Technically, yeah, you know, if, if you live to be a hundred, when you're 30 years old, you're not preparing for something like death, you know, when you're not, not you're not, all. you're not being faced with something like mortality. So all of a sudden when it's just, when you're, met with it, it's gnarly. You start treatment and obviously the physical aspect is, you know, it's chemo is no joke. 
and so you're you know you're going through treatments and so i mean the the, the amount of physical pain and stress that your body's under i mean what where's your head mentally through all of that are you just focused on just staying strong and surviving is that where you're at or what what was happening yeah i mean it it becomes weird because there are different journeys for different cancer you know, patients. Some people do chemo where they go to the hospital, they sit there for a few hours and then they leave. Some people take pills. The type of cancer that I had required me to live in the hospital and then to recover there often after receiving the chemo. So it's a full-time job, essentially. It's not one of those types of situations where you go in, your chemo's once a week and then you can go about your business. You still feel like shit and that, you know, that that's a very real reality for some people, but mine was check into the hospital and stay there during that whole, you know, time. And it becomes a weird dystopian new normal. So eventually you do ease into this, like, okay, well, this is, this is my reality. And it's all about armoring yourself with people who are really supportive and just knowing techniques and learning techniques on how to like get through each day. Because if you think like hanging out in your house during the pandemic is boring, you know, add pain and fear of death. And like, maybe this is my last place that I'll ever see. These are the last four walls that I'll ever see. Add all of that on top of it. So you really have to get creative with how you're going to move forward. And then you do have the very real aspect of your doctor saying, okay, you need to walk a minimum of this amount around the hospital floor to keep your blood flowing. And you need to do this many, you know, ups and downs getting from your bed to the chair, because we got to keep your heart above a certain rate. So that way the chemo, which is going to, by the way, cause so many other side effects that you did not ask for or anticipate or anything else. It's going to cause so many side effects. So you have to prepare for those side effects and keep yourself somehow healthy while you're in the worst health of health of your life. It's complicated. It's a really complicated thing to navigate. And it really makes you appreciate and understand and grasp the concept of you have to live in that moment. And that was the biggest takeaway. You have to be in that moment, that day, that hour, sometimes that minute, down to that minute, because the next minute you might be hurling your brains out in the bathroom or getting another radiation treatment or, you know, all of a sudden you feel this sharp pain from your muscles, from the chemo on one side of your body. So sometimes you just have to accept the moment to moment that you're in. And for me, you know, that was pop music. That was uh, TV shows, stuff like that. And, uh, and good family and good friends who would visit me before the pandemic started. So it's hard. It's a hard process. And you, and you figure it out one day, every day. It's time for a quick pause. Do you ever feel pressure to keep up a healthy life? Like you are trying to work out every day, keep up with the wellness trends, eat healthy all the time. You're just trying so damn hard all of the time. Well, I feel that way sometimes. Well, those are the days you're going to grab a Coors Pure. It's an organic beer that's all about celebrating the wins of everyday life. It's organic, but it's chill about it. It has organic barley, organic hops and water, and at 92 calories and zero sugar, it is the perfect beer for celebrating the wins of everyday life. I'm all about promoting that balanced lifestyle that is joie de vivre. So you know what? If I take a walk around the block, Coors Beer. If I put on my workout clothes, Coors Beer. 
eat a salad, guess what? Coors Pure. Coors Pure is the perfect beer to celebrate the wins of everyday life. So when you want to enjoy a beer without the guilt, reach for Coors Pure because it's organic, but chill about it. So go to CoorsPure.com to see where you can find Coors Pure. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Beer and Company, Albany, Georgia. Okay, back to the episode. Looking back, I mean, in hindsight, I mean, even now, what did you learn or what about like life in general, but or like your life specifically? Well, I do feel in a weird way, I feel like this happening in, you know, tandem with the pandemic has made more people aware of maybe not how short life is because a lot of people, let's face it, haven't, you know, had direct issues with the pandemic and loss because of it. But I feel like it, it's brought us all inward a little bit more where we think about we just are thinking about things on a different level. We're, we're prioritizing things differently because of the pandemic, you know? So because of that, I don't feel as out of place when I say now I really appreciate a good nap. And when I wake up from a good nap, instead of that feeling of guilt, oh, I've wasted a day, I say, oh my gosh, I gave my body rest. It clearly needed the rest. And now I woke up and I feel rejuvenated. One thing, and I I talk about this all the time, and it's on my last two episodes of my podcast. I talk about noticing trees for the first time. And it's my literal metaphor, which I don't know what a literal metaphor is. I guess just an example, (laughs) but um, it's my example is like, I just walk outside now and I take walks, which also is another thing like I never had to do, but like I had to start taking walks because you know, I could barely walk at the beginning of my treatment. So it was like, okay, you have to take a five minute walk and a 10 minute walk. And, and even just like the act of taking a walk is so specific and has such a purpose. It's like, you know, like it's kind of like, yes, me too now. And I never was like that. And so now with the walk, I notice at first it was me just like, struggling to catch my breath or feeling all the aches and pains. But now a year later, it's me looking and I say, oh my God, look up, look at the tree. Look how green that tree is. Look at those flowers blooming on that little bush. Like that's so pretty. I'm noticing these things. And to put it in perspective, I've never done that. I barely ever took walks, first of all. And when I say take a walk, like, yes, I exercise and would walk places. I'm saying, taking a walk, taking a stroll, the mentality of stop, you know, stopping and smelling the roses. I literally have that mentality now. And it freaks me out a little bit because I was very cynical before. And I still have, you know, I'm not a new person. I'm still cynical. I'm still (laughs) still very sarcastic, but you got a new layer to you. (laughs) I got a new layer. And it is funny because people definitely view me only as a positive person because I do choose to share a lot of the positivity. And that's another side because you have this option to choose to really kind of like wallow in the sadness that happened. I I really could, you know, say this was a really shitty hand I was dealt and I could choose to go down that route. And, you know, and it's fair enough. If you get cancer, you are dealt a shitty hand no matter what the circumstances. So if you want to deal with it by complaining and venting and that's what gets you through get through it, baby, because it's hard. I, I, and no matter how you get through it, just get through it. But for me, I have to be, I have to choose positivity after this because the only other option is to obsess over the chance of the fact that I could have died. That's not a life worth living, you know? No, no. I mean, it, it's scary. Those are morbid thoughts. I've had morbid thoughts like that. I mean, 
near death experience. I mean, I I, I had PTSD yeah, yeah. survivor's guilt, but you know, I did get over that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. So so wait, where are you from again? I grew up all over the South. So okay, I was actually yeah. born in San Diego, but my dad oh. was military and then became minister. And so all over the South. Oh, dang. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what was like your favorite era of your life? Like, did, did you like, like being super young or did you like, like junior high school or high school? Like what were, what were your favorite memories at? Well, you know, I had a pretty great childhood. I was homeschooled a lot with my parents. Really? Yes. And Dang. it was partially religious. And I do not get homeschool vibes from you. Well, yeah, they they pulled me into um into middle school just in time for socialization. So so I, I missed God. out on that. Yeah, so I don't have the um, you know, I don't have the weird oddities that a lot of homeschool kids get. Um, I'm also a preacher's kid, and I do have a lot of the preacher kid uh qualities of, you know kind of being a bad a bad boy and a rebel and whatnot. You know, so childhood was happy. I my parents are very intelligent, so we it was just full of learning and adventure. You know, my parents took us to to Germany to live for a while. We we spent 3 months on the road in a van and would kind of be nomads. So I had a really are you cool for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had a really cool childhood. So I definitely out of the three options, the, that was the best era. You lived in a van. Yeah, I mean not like in a call child welfare circumstance. We had a house and we decided over the summer to deck out our like Aero Aerostar van. I have very young parents. They, you know, they had me when they were 19 and 20 and I'm 33. So they wanted to take their kids on adventures when they were still like when they were under 10, because I have a, a brother and a sister and me. So my parents wanted to take us on adventures. So we traveled across country, lived in a van for three months. We went to Germany, lived there for a year and was, was able to, um, you know, explore Europe at a young oh age. So I feel like well-traveled in a way, because obviously you're young. So a lot of it's not, you know, you don't acknowledge what's happening, but it definitely defined a lot of who I am. Like, were you into makeup and stuff when you were young? I was into drawing very oh, much so. so you are, you were, you've been artistic. I've been artistic my whole oh, okay. life. And I was very into superheroes. Obviously, I, you know, the Power Rangers raised me, Catwoman oh, defined me, and Poison <laughs> Ivy taught me to be a bad bitch, you know? <laughs> um, so I would draw my favorite female characters. And I didn't okay. even realize this until like, a year ago when I started to draw again during recovery, I was like, oh, my first time doing like female faces was drawing Catwoman's face and drawing Poison Ivy's face. That was my actual first time, like drawing proportions and shading in a cheek and all of that stuff. (laughs) And I didn't realize that until I started to draw again during recovery. So that was pretty interesting. So that was my first foray into into makeup that I had no idea that it was. So you you were into the superheroes, but like, were you into the pop stars then? I've always loved music. Like the, like I would watch the VH1 top 20 countdowns. And this is like when I'm a kid, you know, like, but the diva love didn't really start until I went to like middle school and high school when I became kind of like more normal. Oh, okay. So we, oh, you're talking, you were drawing when you were like young, young, young. young yeah. Oh, okay. This is a dumb question. Brittany or Christina? No, it's actually, it, it, it'll, it'll be shocking. No one ever asks me because they assume because I am obviously a Britney Spears super fan now, but I grew up on Christina Aguilera. She was my really? first concert. And the way they pr- positioned Christina versus Britney, you know, I was an outsider growing up. I was bullied. I was, I didn't fit in. And so Christina really 
she kind of nailed that, especially as a young queer person with the beautiful video where she Mm. showed queer depictions. And I I kind of view it like this. I say the popular gays, the gays who didn't have a lot of drama in school, maybe they weren't bullied as much or they went to more open-minded schools. They liked, they like Britney Spears. And uh, those of us who really like went through the, the ringer were the, were the Christina teens. All right, we're going to take a quick little break because I have to tell you guys about an amazing new service I found called FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house, which I love. You can add a gallery wall to your home or office or send the perfect gift. From art prints and diplomas to the photos sitting on your phone, you can FrameBridge just about anything. You just go to FrameBridge.com and upload your photo or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. You can preview your item online in dozens of frame styles or gallery wall layouts. You can choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door ready to hang. So instead of the hundreds you'd pay at framing store, their prices start at just $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, my listeners are going to get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use my code love me. Let me tell you, I am intimidated by frame stores. So I, I just never frame anything. I've had these wedding photos on a thumb drive forever. So I picked my favorite photo of Tom kissing my hand <laughs> from our wedding. And I got it in this beautiful white frame that I cannot wait to get and hang on my wall. I think I'm going to become addicted to frame bridge because you literally can frame anything. You can frame from photos in your phone. Why am I taking all these pictures on my phone? Just sit there. And it's so easy to do. So inexpensive. So I cannot recommend this enough. Get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com. And use promo code LOVEME to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code LOVEME. That's framebridge.com, promo code LOVEME. Okay, back to the podcast. When did you discover that you wanted to do makeup? What was what was the draw to that? At some point, I started to do drag and... Ooh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I started Sparkle. to do drag. Sparkle, of course. Yes. And, um, you know, I just... I'm one of those people. I'm always m- making friends, always down to try something new. And he was a clever guy who went to an art school, you know, wanted to be a filmmaker, or do something. And it was the same time... And this is when I became a Britney Spears diehard also that Britney Spears was becoming very focused uh, in the media because of her, you know, actions. She was going barefoot. It was the baby stuff was had just happened. It was the custody battle, the divorce. It wasn't full on like, you know, the, the scary stuff yet, but it was, she was definitely like a public figure hanging out with Paris and Lindsay and all of that stuff. And I was inspired by that pop culture. I loved those girls' looks. I loved their, you know, the, their whole thing. And my friend was into it also. And he said, why don't you spoof Britney Spears? Like kind of do like a parody of Britney. Like uh, you love her so much. Um, he was British. I was obviously from the South. So I did a better accent than anyone else <laughs> in our little friend group. And 
we got like a shitty wig and some eyeliner, some lipstick, mascara. I don't even think I had foundation the first time I did drag. I think I just used like a powder bronzer all over the face. And yeah, I just channeled my inner Britney, wandered around. And that was the start. <laughs> that was the start of me being obsessed with Britney. That was the start of me doing makeup. That was the start of me doing drag. It was many, many firsts all encompassed in this one time that I got dressed up. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then you're like, wait, actually, I think I like really want to do this for a while. Yeah. And it just, it just one of the, was one of those things that kind of trickled. I moved to LA from Florida and then I realized, oh, you could actually make a living doing it. It's not just, you know, it's not just at a salon for prom once a year. It was, you know, cause in small towns, that's when you get your makeup done. So <laughs> Brittany drag. Okay. Well, speaking of Brittany, yes. uh, you are like the Brittany detective. I mean, I'm, I'm following this free Brittany and what is your take on what the truth is of like this whole conservatorship? Here's the thing with the Brittany conservatorship. There are the cold, hard facts that we get from court documents. And then there are things we can assume based on what we're told through these court documents. And then there's just conspiracy theories, which is, you know, kind of what I like to stay away from because it just does no one good. All, all we end up doing is questioning a woman's mental health, which is never a good place to be. So what we factually know is that going on 13 years ago, Brittany was placed in a conservatorship and the guidelines that are usually used to put someone in a conservatorship in Los Angeles County were not met. So that means something happened for whatever reason, we do not know because it is kept under lock and key, that they deemed this issue so important that the normal person who would get a five-day notice to be able to hire an attorney and to see if they can argue the conservatorship, that right, which is a human right, by the way, was yeah. taken away from Brittany and she was put immediately into the conservatorship without the chance to get her own attorney. When she did get her own attorney, as we saw in the Framing Britney Spears documentary, he was prepared to fight uh, for her. She, she seemed to be able to pick her own attorney and she did. And he was quickly dismissed thanks to the judge and to Brittany's father's team who said she was not in the right mindset to pick her, to pick her attorney. Who she pays. Who she pays. Who she, all, she pay, everyone pays. Every, everyone in this story is paid by Britney Spears. Which is wild. Which is absolutely wild. So we all know the story of the, of the conservatorship. What happened is two years ago, she cancels her second Vegas residency and it's all suspicious. No one knows why. And then essentially people start to know that Britney has gone missing from both social media and from paparazzi shots, which one without the other is fine. But then when both things happen, it gets suspicious. Of course, we find out she had been kept at a facility for mental health issues. The reasons why she was there are very suspicious. They said Brittany chose to check herself in, but then we forget on a conservatorship, she has no oh, rights right, as, yeah. a, as a person. So anything that's done as Britney Spears, quote the person, as long as her father signs off on it, it's Britney Spears, the person signing off on it. Even if they are saying something as simple as, oh, she chose to come here. That just means her father chose her, chose for her to go there. She's, she's a prisoner in her own life. It's all comes down to greed. And of course, this is conspiracy. This is not factual. But what we do have is the hard, cold facts, which is in these documents, 
they referred to this conservatorship, which reminder, conservatorships are usually saved for people who are completely in a vegetative state, completely unable to make any decision for themselves because they would cause immediate harm to themselves. So obviously we know Brittany's not like that because we can see her on stage performing. We can see her out with her kids at a soccer game. We can see her, you know, whatever. We can just see her in different forms being a real active human. So we know this doesn't apply to her necessarily, but we also don't know what else could be an issue. So we don't want to cause too much speculation. But what we know on the most blanket of terms is that Britney Spears does not want her father to be her conservatorship in any capacity. It's very eye-opening and telling that he is fighting tooth and nail to remain her conservatorship. He's even agreed to give up conservatorship of her person, which is, you know, the the personal stuff, her health, her well-being, all of that stuff. He's willing to give that up as long as he maintains control of the financial side. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. It doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to figure out. That's just the facts. You lay out the facts. Why does he want to stay involved in the financial world of Britney Spears, the company, if he's such a loving father? Because his argument for keeping this conservatorship going for so long is because he cares so much about her health and safety. And not to say she wasn't in a very rough place 12 years ago, but people can have those moments and that's just what they are, a moment. moment and recover. And, and then you move on. Yeah. And and if you need permanent help, someone like Amanda Bynes would be a great case. Her parents are providing a lot of support and help, and they're doing it the right way. They're not turning her into this, you know, Amanda Bynes isn't working. She's going to school. She's doing what she wants to do. She's meeting people. She's getting to live her life as close to normal as she can while battling a, a very public mental health issue. Her parents are doing everything right. And Brittany's parents and her team, well, not her mom, her mom's trying desperately to get to, you know, help out, but she's just being used for her money. And it's such an easy, once this cycle starts, it's so hard to break. And it was very telling in framing Britney Spears when Jamie's lawyer, Vivian Thoreen, who we as a Britney army cannot stand <laughs> when she said, how many cases have you seen of a conservatorship coming to an end in your lifetime? And she said zero. (laughs) And, you know, that's just telling because it's a very convenient situation. Her court appointed attorney just started speaking out for Brittany this past year because he knows that it's going to look real bad when people start questioning why he hasn't brought, brought up freeing Brittany sooner. So he's getting a little bit too much you know, everyone's celebrating him because he's finally speaking out on behalf of Brittany, but we're saying, well, it's the year 13. So why, why just now at year 13, are we speaking out? Is it possible that this could end for her? It is possible. It's going to take a lot of work. And if nothing happens immediately, by the time her children turn 18, something will be done. They're around 14, 15 now. So if nothing else, they will be there to free their mom from these confines of this very, very, you know, disingenuous and probably illegal situation that they have set up here. Um, So I, you know, I hope that it moves faster than that because I would hate for her to have to wait for her children to literally turn 18 I want her to be free before her 40th birthday, which is this December, because if she turns 40 in the conservatorship, that means she has spent her entire 30s under lock and key from them. 
And yeah, I mean, it's a really tough situation. It's a really humanizing thing when you really think about it. Someone who has no access to the money that they've earned, no access to anything. She can't, she cannot leave her house without permission. And some of it is safety for her. I get that, but they're pushing it to, it's beyond safety because Lady Gaga can leave her house and she's just as famous. Beyonce can leave her house, you know, and what do you think is the story with her social media? People are saying that she doesn't post her own yeah. stuff. Well, people go back and forth of my personal theory. So here's what we, again, I wholeheartedly do not believe Britney Spears has a single bit of access to her Instagram any longer. I do not think she does. And here's the reason why. She tried to go live on her boyfriend's account, on Sam Ascari's account, and he quickly reprimanded her and turned it off of live very instantly. And... I've known people who've worked directly with Britney and who've been involved with Britney directly personally and from piecing together the bits of information. And this is like 2013. She was in the conservatorship, but you know, 2013, 2014, she was doing very well. She was in the conservatorship, but, but working in Vegas, very happy, the best, best health she's ever been, all that stuff. And they confirmed, you know, and of course this is just my word, but they confirmed like little stuff. Like she didn't, she didn't have Instagram downloaded on her phone when they were together in 2014. And she had a flip phone every time they were, you know, together in 2015. So these, these weird little inconsistencies that don't check out. But the weirdest was when her social media manager, Cassie, came for, and we all know her name, Cassie Petrie, <laughs> try to get her yeah. on the show. Um, <laughs> we, she basically said, Guys, just so you know, Brittany sends me her posts and I post them on her behalf. Well, quickly on the account Doomwall, which does like this. Yeah. Okay, you know it. So quickly, a bunch of people wrote in and said, well, most celebrities don't have someone post all of this much information. Most celebrities have, you know, scheduled posts and stuff like that and business posts, you know, if they're promoting stuff. But most of the time it's not, you know, Brittany's not going to send a selfie in to get it approved to go to to have Cassie post it. Normally they would just post it, you know? Yeah. So I don't think Britney Spears has access to her Instagram at all. I think if we, if she did, I think we would see her go on Instagram live and something would happen and not dramatic. I'm not saying anything dramatic, but I think she would get on Instagram live and say, get me out of here. Or she would say, guys, I promise I'm fine. They are not telling her the full story of what is happening to her out in the media. She does not know her full story. They can control how much internet she has access to. If she has access to a phone, they could have her phone set to kid, to kid level. Like there are so many things in between. So she's still coming up with her own content. She just is not the one posting it. Exactly. And we also don't know how she wants the content to be displayed, which, cause you know, with one quick edit, you can make something go from looking like a very beautiful dance routine to it look like a crazy person <laughs> who needs a, needs a conservatorship, if you get what I'm saying. But also the, the, the nervous, breathy, just the way she talks is like... I mean, I, I do weird. think we are dealing with the mental health issue. Again, I don't want to be the one to, to question it. But something like a vocal issue like that, like the way she talks and the way she, the nervous ticks, all of those are symptoms. Again, they can be symptoms of anything, but they also could be symptoms of someone who's once again been left to her own devices in a world where she's not been given freedom. Mm-hmm. And I will say, compare okay. those videos where she's shaking and nervous, compare that to the video where she announces she got the vaccine or where she's excited about the Super Bowl, that video where she said, wow, a lot's going on this week. 
we're dealing with two entirely different Britneys here. That's yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it's 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 very strange. It looks to me like someone who is fearful. Yeah. And it seems to be that she is a little Stockholm syndrome-y, almost like I have to do these videos. They're forcing me to do these videos. I'm reading off a script. Yeah. I'm reading off. But then you see the vaccine video where she's hanging out with her boyfriend, Sam, and she's totally normal. Relaxed is she and, still, yeah. does she act younger? She's never going to act like a 40-year-old because her life wasn't normal. Well, her life stopped when she was 16. They say when people become very famous at a certain age, they kind of are that age forever. You're stunted at that age. And she became a superstar at 17 and she was working from well before then. Yeah. But she became a superstar at 17. So it's fair to say she's a, a bit stunted, whether it's fixable or not. It doesn't matter. Most celebrities are stunted in some ways. I mean, even if you're, even if you're a celebrity at 50 years old, once you start having someone bring you coffee every day, that becomes your normal. So I'm just saying Britney Spears normal is not our normal. And it's something we can't relate to because we haven't been controlled in this, in this capacity. But I think it speaks volumes that there's two Britney's presenting themselves on social media. There's a very coherent, normal Britney that shines through from time to time, like in the vaccine video. And then there's the more sinister Britney that people, that the conservatorship wants us to see where we get a crazy person on our Instagram feed. And guess what? It benefits the team conservatorship for them to have her appear crazy because that only further instills in us this notion that she needs to be kept safe because she's so guess what? No one thinks that. Yeah. <laughs> no one We're thinks she's crazy. It. People are just, it's just confusing to yeah. everyone because it's, you know, thank you for that. And thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Um, I'm definitely going to come on yours. It's called back on air with Jared Lipscomb. And when, when do your episodes come out? They come out every Thursday. Yeah. You can listen to it anywhere. Po- uh, any, anywhere podcasts go. <laughs> you can listen to my podcast, just like you can listen to this one. <laughs> I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then where can people find you on socials? Yes. I mainly stay up to date on my Instagram. That's where I kind of keep okay. everything. So it's Jared lips. Um, if you want to get me on Twitter, I'm Jared M lips. I'm usually just tweeting my thoughts about how Britney Spears should sing every song, but <laughs> nothing oh. too deep. Oh, and of course, um, we got to do our rage text of the day. Oh, yes. Can't okay. forget about that. So, uh, Jared, what would your rage text of the day be? Uh, my rage text of the day is dedicated to that new show on HBO Max um, starring Kate Winslet. I am so tired of them trying to give me quality TV that I don't want. I want quality TV like that, like uh, awards TV, like The Undoing and stuff. I need Nicole Kidman to be in it, being a rich white woman, to feel a connection. I do not need Kate Winslet trying to play Nicole Kidman playing a white woman. It's very confusing and disarming. And I'm very mad at HBO Max for pulling the rug right out from under me and having another (laughs) Academy Award-winning actress take Nicole Kidman's rightful place in this role. I don't care what the project is. If there is a confused, depressed, and murderous white woman on the loose, it needs to be played by Nicole Kidman. And I do not appreciate HBO Max giving it to Kate Winslet. If you got to give it to someone else, I guess Carrie Washington or Reese Witherspoon would be acceptable replacements, but never Kate Winslet. Wow. I love Nicole Kidman. (laughs) My race text goes to passwords. <laughs> I fucking hate passwords. I was trying to log into my Hulu. I knew it was my password. And I was like, that's not your password. And so then I was, I did the whole thing, like forgot password. And like, we sent you the email. And then like, they never sent me an email. And I sat there for 15 minutes. And I was like, I can't do this shit. I can't do this shit. This didn't happen. But you know, when they're like, okay, so here's your email. 
enter a new password or here's the link, enter a new password. Can't be your old password. I just went through this. You said that wasn't my password. Uh, you know, I just hate they passwords. They need to figure out a better way yeah, to do that. Yeah, fuck that you passwords. Mm-hmm. I can't remember all of you. Anyways. All right. Well, thank you again, Jared. And everyone go listen to Jared's um, podcast. And then until next time, I love y'all and be kind to yourself. Go for a walk. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Follow along on social at Music Kills Kate and tune in next week for an all new episode. 